Good morning, church. And on stream, uh, good morning to you as well. My name is Charles Rutter. I'm part of the ministry team here at Christ Church Sidcup. And our vicar, Tom, and our curate, Adam, are taking a very, very well-earned break at this time. So please have the passage Mary's just read to us open in your Bibles. A very familiar story. Let me ask you a question. Have you lost Jesus? A long time ago, visiting a supermarket, pushing the trolley around, toddler with us, turned around and suddenly he had disappeared. You all had that kind of experience? And we rushed up and down the aisles, no sign of him anywhere, absolutely desperate. And then eventually, he was brought into the supermarket by a lady who was wearing the same color coat as his mum. And he had followed her out of the supermarket. But you know what it's like when you have a child missing. I know of another family and their teenager, if they're living in your house, doesn't matter if they're three, uh, 15 or 53, if they're living in your house, you wait for the door to open and close, don't you, uh, at night to see they're safely in. And on this occasion, this teenage boy, he'd been out to Scadbury running and he didn't return. And the time went by and he didn't return and his parents phoned the police. A police helicopter went up to search. It grew dark, no sign of him anywhere. And then suddenly there was a knock at the door, and in he came. Oh, I went to visit a friend. But you know what it's like as a parent when your child goes missing. And that, that was the experience of uh, Mary and Joseph on this occasion. Now, I just want to look at the story very briefly and pick out a few salient points before getting on to what I really want to share with you this morning. So it was Passover time, and of course... Passover was a most significant feast and uh, the Lord's people were at that time always annually to go to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover which signified the great deliverance from slavery in Egypt of their ancestors when the angel of death had passed over the land and uh, all the children of the Hebrews had been saved because the doorposts and lintels were sprinkled with the blood of the Passover lamb. And that was the celebration that kept them in mind of God's faithfulness and promise in leading them out of slavery and into the promised land. And then you'll notice that in this passage, uh, the reference is to the boy, Jesus. The boy, Jesus. Twelve years old. Um, he hadn't been bar mitzvahed yet, uh, the bar mitzvah from 12 or 13 years old, um, when uh, a child technically became a man, a child of the covenant. And that was imminent as far as Jesus was concerned. And then we read in verse 43 that um, his parents were unaware that he was missing on this return journey back home after the festival. And that was probably because it was the the pattern for the women to go ahead in one party and the men would come along behind in another party as they made the homeward journey. And so 
Mary and Joseph each assumed that Jesus would be in the other party, so they didn't miss him until they made camp that evening. And then he was missing, desperate. And Mary and Joseph went back to Jerusalem to look for him, and they spent three days looking for him. They couldn't find him. Oh, where was he sleeping? What had happened to him? And then they found him in the temple courts among the teachers uh, asking questions. And again, that was fairly normal practice because during Passover, the teachers of the law, the professional theologians and teachers, if you like, would gather in the, in the portico of the temple and people would come and discuss the, the law with them. And the fact that Jesus was asking questions, again, was quite normal because that's the way a, a Jewish boy learnt the law through question and answer. But it was the depth and wisdom of what he was saying that caused such amazement. It wasn't that he had supernatural adult knowledge, but that the wisdom he expressed, the understanding of the law that he expressed as a 12-year-old made a profound impact upon those who heard him. Now, this raises a question. Why does Luke the author of the gospel, include only this story from Jesus' youth. After all, it was around about 30 years old that he commenced his public ministry. What about all that time beforehand? And it may be that Luke, the historian, got his information directly from Mary. If so... And Mary talked to him as he questioned her about the life of Jesus in Nazareth. Why did he use only this particular story? Two possibilities here. One is that it was this incident alone that Mary told Luke about. All the thing, all the stories we tell about our children growing up, so many of them, aren't there? Maybe Mary told just this one to Luke because this was the one that was really important. This was the one that gave the focus to everything for Mary. Or perhaps Mary had told Luke lots of, about lots of incidents in, in the life of Jesus as a child and, and, and a young man. But Luke discerned that this was the most important one. This was the link between the glorious nativity story and the ministry of Jesus. This was the interconnection. And so we don't know why this particular story was there because Mary kept all these things close to her heart, she read. They were so important to us. And there were lots of tales um, uh, about miracles Jesus was supposed to have performed as a, uh, as a child. There were fanciful stories by authors to enhance the figure of Mary or to meld the reputation of Jesus to a particular religious stream at that time. But Luke's account draws down the focus to the first recorded words of Jesus and these are the words we want to concentrate on this morning 
You see, this is the statement which Luke wants to emphasize to his readers. It sets the context for all that he will subsequently tell us in his gospel about the life and the teaching and the passion of Jesus. Jesus' first words are questions. Questions for his mum and dad. And questions for us too. I suppose really it's one question, but it's split into two, uh, two sub-questions. First question, why are you searching for me? We've been distraught, we've been so anxious looking for you. Jesus, what's going on here? Why are you searching for me? For Mary, there was the natural maternal instinct. She had found her son and she wanted to give him a load of, a, a load of her mind because um, <laughs> she was so stressed out about it all. And when we think about what Luke has already recorded for us, again through personal uh, 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 discussion with Mary perhaps, uh, the reference to the Annunciation and the Magnificat, Mary's song of praise and worship, my soul magnifies the Lord, and the words of Anna and Simeon in the temple, and a sword will pierce your own heart also. And Mary kept all these things in her mind, in her heart, and she pondered them. And all the truth of those 12-year-old experiences that she had had were hidden in her heart, were pondered in her mind. And Mary and Joseph cannot let their child Jesus the saviour of Israel, the promised saviour of Israel and of the world, he, they can't let this child out of their keeping, out of their care, out of their parenting. He is God's promised Messiah. He is hope for humanity. And for Mary and Joseph, he's their boy. The second part of the question, or the second question, Jesus said... Um, you know, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Or you will have a, a, a little text at the bottom of your Bible, in my father's house, or alternately, about my father's business. Uh, that's an ellipsis, but we won't go there just now. Uh, if you think of House of Fraser, you get the idea. The House of Fraser is the business, and it's called the House of Fraser. And, and, and the two ideas do come together. Now, Luke has been told by Mary precisely what Jesus said on that occasion, how his answer to their stress-filled question was another question that shadowed his future vocation. Didn't you know it was necessary for me to be in my father's house about my father's business? And in his gospel, Luke will continually reflect back to that second question, as he fills out its consequences for all that Jesus said and did. Now, it's, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be starting a, a, a new series of sermons on, chunk, on a chunk of Luke's gospel. So there is a, a, a nice preparation here. But Luke was going to write about Jesus' ministry, Jesus' business, and he gives it to us most emphatically uh, just in chapter 4, where we have what is known as the, um, the Nazareth Manifesto, where Jesus quotes Isaiah in the synagogue in Nazareth and says, 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That was the work of Jesus. And again at the end of chapter 4 in Luke, verse 43, Jesus says to his uh, disciples, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, because that is why I was sent. So, two questions from a 12-year-old. Why are you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? The first question for Mary and Joseph, the answer was pretty obvious, wasn't it? Their sheer relief in finding Jesus, the lost Jesus. But it sets up a question for us also. Why are we searching for Jesus? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him whilst he is near, declared the prophet Isaiah. But maybe, maybe you don't feel that Jesus is near. Maybe you feel that somehow you've drifted apart from Jesus. It seems so easy to do. It is something that is imperceptible and it is something that is not an uncommon experience for Christians. You see, we need Jesus and we can't seem to find him. And if, like Mary and Joseph, you've lost Jesus, you're anxiously searching for him, and you, and you want him so much, but you can't find him, and you sense a failing faith, and perhaps fearful living. Such experience may occur at any time in our Christian lives, encapsulated uh, for me, um, in a particular hymn, um, <clears throat> you've heard of William Cooper, spelt Cowper, but William Cooper, he was one of England's first great romantic poets, and he was also um, a brilliant classics translator. He translated Homer's uh, Iliad and Od Od Odyssey, a great reputation as a poet and as a scholar. Uh, but he went to live in a place called Olney in Buckinghamshire, where the curate of the lo local church was John Newton of Amazing Grace fame. And John Newton, uh, together in cooperation with William Cooper, produced a new hymn book called The Only Hymns. And uh, the interesting thing, uh, or a significant thing about William Cooper was he battled lifelong what we would call clinical depression, severely depressed, uh, uh, incarcerated for a time, institutionalized, but he, he lived battling this, this clinical depression. And he wrote um, a hymn that's in the only hymn book, which expresses this sense of losing Jesus, of having lost Jesus. We know it. Let me read it to you. Oh, for a w closer walk with God a calm and heavenly frame, 
a light to shine upon the road that leads me to the Lamb. Why? Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing dew of Jesus and his word? What peaceful hours I then enjoyed. How sweet their memories still. But they have left an aching void the world can never fill. And he wrote that out of a sense of the lostness of Jesus. A question we all ask ourselves in the light of COVID and everything that's happening in the world today is, how am I going to cope with life in 2022? How am I going to cope with life in 2022 without Jesus, without that sense of his presence, without um, the love that I knew, the joy that I had in worship and witness that has now dissipated? What can we do? Well, of course, we can try to be more holy. We can try to be more faithful. We can try to be more obedient. Maybe make a few appropriate New Year's resolutions. Um, Jenny was out walking with Anya yesterday, and she, she had a, a great idea that uh, she had picked up that uh, as a New Year resolution, uh, you resolve to uh, run or walk your age in miles uh, every month of the year. Um, if you're 30, okay. Uh, if you're 60, hmm. And maybe you change the miles into kilometers and it makes it a bit more manageable. But living as Christians in our mixed, muddled, chaotic, glorious world doesn't depend upon what we do for Jesus. Do you remember um, a few years ago there was this uh, craze for wristbands that had WWJD on? Um, and uh, what would Jesus do? And the idea was whatever situation you faced, you with, you faced yourself with in the day, you'd look at your wristband and you'd think, hmm, what would Jesus do in this particular situation? It's a timely reminder, but again, living life to the full, regardless of circumstances we find ourselves in, does not depend upon what we do, but upon what Jesus has done for us. You see, the second question, didn't you know, said Jesus, in answer to his distraught Mary and Joseph, his distraught parents, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house, I must be about my father's business? So what was Jesus' business? We've already underlined that in the, in the Nazareth Manifesto. And his declaration, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God because that is why I was sent. That was his business. And there at the age of 12 in the Jerusalem, at the culmination of the Passover feast, um, he was uh, speaking with the scholars about the truths um, of God's word. And you know, uh, we're, we're just... Um, celebrating the life of Archbishop Desmond Tutu uh, from South Africa, who lived out the Nazareth Manifesto, despite suffering, despite all the tragedies, and he set a shining light of righteousness and justice, not only in South Africa, but around the world, and we thank God for him. To find and be where Jesus is, is to be caught up in where the action is, where God's action is. 
if I'm wrapped up in my own agenda, if I simply want Jesus to be my kind of servant, Lord, I need this, Lord, help me with that. Jesus, through his spirit, is with his people all the time. But we don't hear his voice because we're so focused upon ourselves. If we're caught up in our agenda, it means we have no time for God's agenda. What is God's agenda for us? What is God's agenda for our individual lives? What is God's agenda for his church here in Sidcup? What is God's agenda for his church worldwide? We need to listen. We need to understand. We need to know. No matter how important my priorities, and even whether they're good priorities, like I want to get my doctrine sorted out and I need to get the, you know, the, the, the church's teaching sorted out and I need to get the church's mission sorted out and I'm going to spend all my time on this. Nonetheless, we need to ask, yeah, these are tremendously important things, but what is God's agenda? Jesus says, don't you know? I must be about my father's business. Because that is where we need to be also. Like Jesus, we too need to be about our Heavenly Father's business. And Luke has recorded for us the essence of the Word of God as a grand finale to his Gospel. So if you read through Luke's Gospel and you go to chapter 24, uh, you don't need to read it now, you can look it up afterwards. Chapter 24 of Luke's Gospel and here's the risen Jesus talking to his disciples. And he says this, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Lord of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus wants to open up our minds to understand the truth of God's word. And he said to them, this is what is written, the Christ, the Messiah, will suffer and rise from the dead and on the, third, on the third day and in his name repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to all nations beginning here in Jerusalem. You, my followers, my disciples, you are witnesses of these things. And that was to those who lived with him and through the Spirit working in us we too are witnesses to the saving transforming power of the risen and ascended lord jesus christ that is what it means to be in our father's house that is what it means to be about our father's business worship and witness in 2022 in sidcup and beyond When Joseph and Mary remonstrated with their 12-year-old son and heard his uh, amazing questions, we read that they didn't understand at the time. Who's to blame them? They'd found a son who was lost. They were so emotionally up in the air. They didn't know what was what. But we too don't always understand at the time. But as we walk in the Spirit day by day, things become clearer to us. Because we are walking with Jesus. So do we understand? We too need to be in our Father's house for family worship, for teaching, for the breaking of bread and for the prayers. We need to be together to ask our questions and to listen to his answers 
in Scripture and through the Holy Spirit. We, individually and corporately, are in Jesus. We are called, we are chosen and called as sons and daughters to be family. So we need to be about our Father's business in this new year. Maybe in the house of Jesus, you've missed some company meetings and you've lost the plot. You haven't read everything you should have read. You don't know how the business is going. Well, your place at the family table is still there. So come on back inside. If you feel you've lost Jesus, come on back inside. Take your seat. You'll find Jesus there by his spirit. Study the minutes. Take up the reins. Know the work. And let's get the job done in 2022. Now, Thursday is Epiphany. Uh, and Epiphany commemorates the Gentile kings coming to worship Jesus, the King of the Jews. Uh, and there's a sense of it's an ingathering, showing that the word, the, the birth of this baby, uh, it's for the whole of humanity, not just a particular nation. We may be as bemused as Mary and Joseph were with the 12-year-old Jesus. The wise men's visit reminds us of God's open-door policy beyond the Hebrews to the whole of humanity regardless. 2022 will be filled with opportunities uh, to do that, to be what we're meant to be, to walk with Jesus into this new year. And so I, I want to close with another hymn from the only hymn book, uh, not written by William Cooper this time, out of his depression, but written by John Newton himself, uh, out of all his past experience in slaving and, and everything else. And this is what he wrote, and you know it. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes our sorrows, heals our wounds, and drives away our fear. It makes the wounded spirit whole and calms the troubled breast. Tis manna to the hungry soul and to the weary rest. O oh, Jesus, shepherd, guardian, friend, my prophet, priest, and king, my Lord, my life, my way, my end, accept the praise I bring. How weak the effort of my heart, how cold my warmest thought. But when I see you as you are, I'll praise you as I ought. Till then, I would your love proclaim with every fleeting breath. And may the music of your name, Jesus, refresh my soul in death. Amen.